Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 34. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34. Here we are at the beginning of a new year, uh, a fresh start, a, a new uh, 365, or at this point, 363 uh, days of potential and promise and possibility. And I'm, I'm naturally an optimist. And so ordinarily, I am excited and enthusiastic about the prospect of a new year. And that's still true uh, to a degree. But if I'm completely honest, I find that my excitement and my enthusiasm are tamped down uh, just a bit as we head into uh, another year in this prolonged season of turmoil. And I, I feel, uh, you know, not only my excitement and my enthusiasm tamped down, but my anxiousness uh, ratcheted up. And I know that I'm not the only one. There is a, a tangible anxiousness among our people. And maybe you feel it too. And it's showing up in public and it's showing up in, in relationships as fear and anger and tension. I just read a, an article uh, coming off the holidays. It said, from across the country, workers responded with stories of customers flying off the handle when the products they wanted were unavailable, of customers blaming the store rather than supply chain disruptions for delays of customers demanding refunds on non-refundable items. That might just be normal. Of customers so wound up with worry and anxiety that the smallest thing sends them into a tailspin of hysteria. One person said, there's a lack of outlets for people's anger. That waiter, that flight attendant, they become a stand-in for everything that comes between what we experience and what we think we're entitled to. Whether it is over politics or over the pandemic or just over the uncertainty that we all are facing, it seems like anxiousness is the prevailing reality all around us and maybe also in us, yes? Now I'm using the word anxiousness purposefully. Instead of the word anxiety, because I, I want to make an important distinction uh, between the mental health challenge that we know as anxiety that can be professionally diagnosed and treated, and the feeling of worry and unease and nervousness and fear that we internally and naturally experience as a result of external circumstances in response to external circumstances. The emotional response of anxiousness is what so many people are dealing with right now. And it is completely understandable based on the external realities that we are facing. But it is just that kind of anxiousness that Jesus addresses in the passage that we're going to look at today. He's speaking to those who follow him. And he is teaching us how we are to respond to things externally that cause anxiousness in us. We who follow Jesus are not immune from anxiousness and the trials of this world. We are prone to the same anxiousness as everybody else. And so Jesus ministers to our need in this passage. 
But what he also does is he provides a pathway for us by which we can have and be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world. And this phrase, a non-anxious presence, is not my own. I've heard it from Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer and Adrian Crawford and others. And I think it's helpful. And I think it's helpful specifically to us because our mission here at Back Creek Church is connecting people with the hope of the gospel. So we believe that the good news about Jesus addresses all of the problems that we have in our life and all of the problems in the world. So the gospel addresses our anxiousness. And when we, as a people, are a non-anxious presence in the lives of others, it testifies to the hope and the power of the gospel of Jesus. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6. And if you're able, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's word. We're going to read verses 19 through 34. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be what? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be what? Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words that you taught so long ago and are so incredibly relevant for us right now. Lord, we know that your word is always the most relevant word for us because you, the God of all creation and all time and space, has inspired and kept it for your people. And so we ask now that you would speak to us. 
Holy Spirit, speak to us by these words of our Savior, Jesus. And shape our lives by them. Do not let us leave this place unchanged, Lord, but help us to release our anxiousness to you in these next few moments. To count you as our treasure and our master, as the ultimate pursuit and end of our lives. And there, Lord, let us find peace and hope and joy. And Lord, help us to be a a non-anxious people and a non-anxious presence in the lives of those who do not yet know you so that they might want what we have and so that we might be given the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, at the church uh, that I worked at in Georgia as the youth director, we had an assistant pastor uh, who was from Mexico, and he loved to tell driving stories in Mexico. And one of his sermon illustrations that I, I love to hear from Carlos, who is now uh, with the Lord, was about a, a bus driver who was driving so crazily and so erratically, just running through red lights and swerving uh, around other cars and going onto the shoulder and even onto the side of the road that all of the passengers in this very full bus were holding on to anything they could grab and they were freaking out, yelling and worrying about what was happening, except for there was one kid in the front of the bus and he was sitting there peacefully with a smile on his face. And when the bus finally stopped and as people were getting out and wiping their foreheads and wiping their tears of anxiety, uh, one person said to the kid, how could you sit there so peacefully through that trip? Aren't you scared? Little kid said, nope. He said, why not? He said, the bus driver's my dad. (laughs) Our, uh, call to worship, I'm sorry, are preparing our hearts today was from the New City Catechism, but you you may have recognized that it was borrowing language from a catechism question and answer that we worked on uh, memorizing together uh, last year. I I don't know if you remember it, so I'm not going to put you on the spot, but it's Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number one, which goes like this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. In other words, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The bus driver is my dad. Because of Jesus Christ. And the hope that he brings into our lives. We are free to be a non-anxious people and a non-anxious presence for others that we might point them to him. But Jesus knows that we need help. 
And Jesus knows that we are prone to anxiousness and that we need grace. And Jesus knows that we need to be reminded just who he is. So I just want to draw out three questions to help us fix our eyes on Jesus anew and to be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world in 2022. The first question is this, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? One of the reasons anxiousness is so high right now is because so many of us are laying up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Our hearts can become so attached to the things of this world that that they become our treasure. The problem is that the, the things of this world aren't actually treasure and they can't actually persist beyond this life. They cannot last. My kids love balloons, particularly when they, well, the girls were younger. They loved balloons. We don't like having balloons in our house. You want to know why? Because my kids love their balloons. They name their balloons. They draw things on their balloons. They play with their balloons. But what happens to a balloon? It either pops, and instantaneously we have grief, or over time, the balloon begins to lose air and to shrink, and the face that you drew on your balloon becomes distorted, and you don't even feel like calling it by its name anymore, and then suddenly one day it's completely flat and gone, and then there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. When our hearts are bound to the things of this world, when possessions and material things and comforts become our treasures, we must keep them. But we can't. They are all, everything in this world, every material thing is fleeting by nature, and so we are anxiously doing everything we can to hold on while these things turn to dust in our hands. Instead of being anxious about maintaining our earthly treasure, Jesus tells us to lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. And what does Jesus mean? We we know what he means when he talks about treasures on earth that can be destroyed by moth or rust or stolen by thieves or delayed by supply chain challenges. But what does he mean when he says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven? Theologian A.W. Pink helps us get absolute clarity. As to the real treasure, which neither time nor the creature can mar, it is the true and living God, the triune Jehovah who made and governs all things. In him alone is all genuine good and happiness to be found. Our world is filled with people who are storing up for themselves treasures on earth because they think that in these treasures they will find happiness. The problem is the maintenance and the keeping of these treasures are the very thing that produces anxiousness within them. And so they have no peace and no ultimate happiness as a result of these treasures. What if 
Our families and friends and neighbors and coworkers who are living that life saw us deal with the threats to our earthly goods that we are now experiencing and may in the future experience much more intensely if we responded to that not with anxiousness and with scrambling to hold on to them, but with a confidence and a peace that releases earthly treasure as easily as it receives it. Because we know that we have the real treasure no matter what. Because we know that we have the Lord our God. And we don't need anything else. Where is your treasure? Is it here? On earth where moth and rust will destroy. Where thieves will break in and steal. The ultimate thief is death. One day, everything that you and I have will be sorted through. And some of it will be thrown in trash bags and some of it will be given to relatives if we have them. But we will not take it with us. These treasures are trinkets. And they are not worth the anxiousness that we waste on them. But when we have the Lord as our treasure, we can release just as easily as we receive, knowing that He alone is the source of all good and true happiness. Where is your treasure? The second question is, who is your master? Who is your master? I'm going to read verse 24 again. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So much of the anxiousness that I personally feel and that we feel right now is over economic pressure. As we watch groceries and gas and the housing market go up and up and we ask questions like, what's going to happen with the economy? Does this seem sustainable? What's going to happen with our jobs? And these are natural concerns for us, of course. We are commanded by God to provide for the needs of our family. The scriptures tell us that if we refuse to provide for the needs of our family, we are worse than an unbeliever. The scriptures command us to give to God's work, to give to the furthering of his kingdom. That we are to meet the needs of the poor, to be good stewards of what he has entrusted to us. And so we, as citizens of this world, secondarily, because our primary citizenship is in heaven, and that is where our ultimate treasure and possessions lie, we still have to live in this world as people who have to be able to provide for our families, give to the kingdom work of God, meet the needs of those who are in need, and be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. But what happens is we can easily begin to think of our money and our possessions and our lifestyle because the, the idea here with you cannot serve both God and money, it, it, you should have a footnote in your Bible on that word money. This is the primary sense of the word, but the actual word is mammon, and it includes more than just money. It includes the things that you can purchase with money, like our possessions and our lifestyle. But when we begin to think of our money and our possessions and our lifestyle as non-negotiably ours, 
pretty soon we find that we don't have those things. They have us. And they have become our master. And we are living to serve the things that we have accumulated. I'm going to just ask you, who are you serving? Who is, as we head into a new year, who is or what is your master? If it is money, if it is possessions, if it is a certain lifestyle, then you will find anxiousness to be your daily bread. Because you will serve those things as you seek to preserve them for yourself. But if your master is God, you will find that he will give you everything you need as you need it. And that even if he withholds, he can be trusted because he is a faithful and good and true master and he himself will be enough for you. You cannot serve both God and money. Someone asked a really good question of me the other day and it was pretty convicting at this particular point in my life, but it it was this. If you never feel the tension, the pinch of economic need, if you never feel financial want, when do you ever trust God? I think that's a word for so many of us who are so used to living comfortably enough that any threat to our lifestyle, possessions, or money becomes an anxiousness that drives us to serve those things rather than our true master. Where is your treasure? Who is your master? And lastly, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Numerous times as I had you call out the word, Jesus says, do not be what? Don't don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life, what you eat, or what you drink. He He says, the birds of the air neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus Christ, God himself, says about you. Are you not of much more value than they? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Your Father feeds the birds of the air, and he considers you of much more worth than that. He loves you. He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. I tell you that Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed like the lilies of the field. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not also clothe you, O you of little faith? He has this question, which, wow, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And he tells us that the people who don't know God, the Gentiles, seek after all these things. 
And as a result, they are anxious. People who don't know God cannot be blamed for the fact that they are worried about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear and about trying to add as much time to their time on this earth as they possibly can. They cannot be blamed because they don't know the source of all things. They don't know the one who provides for our every need. They don't know the true treasure and the true master who is the Lord our God. They cannot be blamed for these things, but because they're running after all these things, because they are seeking these things as an end in themselves, they are profoundly anxious. The people of God must not be. Do not be anxious, the Lord Jesus Christ says, about these things because you know God. And God knows you. And he loves you, and he is going to meet your needs. So instead of seeking after all the things that everybody else in the world is running after, you seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign, first in our hearts and second in his creation. Does that make sense? The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign first in our hearts. See, what Jesus did when he came into the world, yes, he was the perfect substitute, savior, and sacrifice for our sins. He came to make peace with God between God and man by the blood of his cross and through his glorious resurrection. But in doing so, what Jesus also did was he brought the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign. See, as you look at the 39 books of the Old Testament, you know that it's a pretty rough, pretty dark story. God chose for himself a people, and again and again and again, those people, this little group of people out of a whole world of people, even though they were God's chosen people, continually turned away from him, and all the other nations dwelled in darkness. When Jesus came into the world and through his life, death, and resurrection redeemed sinners, he also inaugurated the new creation and the kingdom of God in this world. And as the good news of Jesus goes forth, his light begins to shine in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And we are seeking God's rule and reign as individuals in our hearts that God would dictate to us how we live our lives by his word and by his spirit. And that we would then, in living that life before others and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God with others, that we would see his rule and reign continually grow in this dark world. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. And so we are to have our priorities, our pursuits, our treasure shaped by God and his word and his rule and reign in our lives rather than everything that the world is continually going after. Seek first the kingdom of God. Where is your treasure? Is it, in, is it here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal? Or is it in heaven? Is your treasure the Lord Jesus Christ which can never rust or fade or be taken away from you? But is in fact eternal Who is your master? And what are you seeking? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And ultimately, this is where all our non-anxiousness comes from. This is where our peace and our joy and our confidence comes from. This is where our hope comes from. It comes from the reality that though we do not have a righteousness of our own, though God demands perfect righteousness from His people, we have failed at every point to keep His law, which demonstrates His righteousness and His character that Jesus Christ came to provide a righteousness for us. And that he did so by satisfying the righteous requirement of God's law by living a fully human life in perfect obedience to the Father so that his righteous record could be credited to his people. And he did it by dying a substitutionary death so that his, as a perfect sacrifice, his once receiving the full weight of God's justice that was due our sin. That there would be no condemnation for God's people, that we would never have to face the penalty of our sin. And he did it by rising again on the third day to guarantee for us adoption into God's family, eternal life with him and a resurrection of our own that will be like his. Brothers and sisters, this table reminds us that we have absolutely everything that we will ever need and there is no reason for the people of God to be anything other than a non-anxious presence in this world because the worst thing that could have ever happened to us and that is that we would face the due penalty for our sins has already happened to us in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am a mess. I am a sinner. I am filled with anxiousness. And I am invited by this table where we remember and we proclaim and we participate in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus to fix my eyes on my treasure, on my master, on the only one that is worth seeking in this life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, which somehow was me and you forever, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if today you are looking away from yourself and to Christ, if you recognize that you don't have a righteousness of your own, but that you need His, if you have received the forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's family, and eternal life through Jesus Christ, then His invitation to you is to come and to feast spiritually on his broken body and shed blood in remembrance, in proclamation, and in participation in what he has done for you. Now, if today you don't yet know Jesus and you haven't experienced the realities of all those things that I've just talked about, I hope that you have connected to the reality that we in no way 
uh, think that we are better than you or that we're exempt from the kind of difficulties that you endure and the anxiousness that you feel in your life. No way. We come to this table. We come to this Christ because of our desperate need. And we would invite you to come as well. We'd invite you not to partake of these elements. In fact, we would, we would ask you out of respect and love to allow them to pass you by. And we do that because the scriptures tell us that anyone who partakes apart from faith in Christ or who partakes while they are in open, unrepentant sin against God eats and drinks in an unworthy manner and brings judgment on themselves. It's not our desire for you to eat and drink judgment on yourself today. Rather, our desire for you Our earnest desire for you is that you would receive salvation in Jesus Christ. So please don't take the supper, but please do take the Savior because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing on our time around his table.